God is the one who made the heavens and the earth, and we're trying to take it back. Hey, this is Unrefined Podcast. I'm Brandon Spain, your host, with co-host Lindsay Waters. Welcome to another episode. Hey, 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 you guys. We are here with another podcast and my infamous co-host, Lindsay. Hello, everyone. And we have a very special guest, a guest that's been here before, and uh, we just love to have him on because he is just incredible guy and one of the most genuine Christians men and pastors that I've actually ever had the experience to be around just from his Facebook and from interviewing him, Doug Van Dorn. How you doing, Doug? Good, Brandon. That was very kind of you. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, you, you can't learn a lot about person on Facebook, but what I what I have learned, uh, I think if I live close to you, I would drink beer with you if you drank beer. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but uh, you've been a world traveler for the past few weeks, and and we wanted to start off the uh, podcast with this. We just we want to know how your trip went and if if the Lord, if you had any like kind of takeaways or supernatural encounters in Israel, or if the Lord just really downloaded something to you in Israel when you were there. Well, I, I mean, I didn't have anything supernatural personally to me. Um, yeah. I think a couple of the folks might have. Yeah. But yeah, did you hear the story about how I got to go over to Israel? No. Tell us. Uh, so I had been to the blurry con, you know, it was like mid or late. I guess it was late February or something like that. Yeah. And then I got back and, uh, Derek Gilbert, we had done our iron and myth podcast and he told us he was headed over there in a couple of weeks. And, and, uh, so I knew he was headed over there, but like the day I got back from the blurry con, um, I get this text message, uh, saying, Hey, Doug, how would you like a, a free sword from Jordan? So we had made this kind of joke on our podcast because a good friend of mine here in Denver went with uh, several of those guys and Dr. Heiser when they went over there in, I think, 2019. And my buddy bought a sword in Jordan, and then uh, he it took them two hours to get over the border, and they almost missed their flight. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thinking... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you want to bring me a sword back? Whatever, that's cool. I had no idea what he was even talking about. And then he goes, well, you're going to have to buy it yourself. And, it, you know, so I'm like, well, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he said, well, we had a, you know, I guess so they have the tour buses, and then uh, they have a tour guide for each bus, but they also had kind of a, a leader of the tour that was with their group. And so the, the, they had three of them, and one of them had to drop out last second. And so he's like, yeah, man, we'll pay for you to come over here. We really need you to come and we'd love to have you. And I said, well, I mean, if you have two tickets, <laughs> he goes, yeah, I got two tickets. So, you know, awesome. two weeks later, I'm in Israel. I was not yeah. expecting it at all. It was completely crazy and fun. And, you know, I think it was about 17 days and we got to go over there with uh, Derek and Sharon for 
for the first five days was I think by ourselves, which was great. And oh, wow. we got to see some sites that other people won't normally see and and have personal tours of them. And and those are in you know, in some ways those were my favorite days just because we got to see things that we like I said, we wouldn't normally see and and uh one of the one of the places was a, a site just uh two miles, maybe less than two miles north of the north part of the Sea of Galilee, right off the Jordan River, um, about a hand, you know, just a hand throw away from uh, Bethsaida, which is where um, Andrew and Peter were from. Yeah. And this is a site that was just like the Wheel of the Giants. Megalithic, looks very much like the wheel, but nobody knows about it. Oh, wow. And uh, so we got to go there, and we, I mean, we were, we're like trekking through the, jungle it felt like and walking through the weeds and we had no idea where we were going pulling out the compass and (laughs) dirt roads and trespassing it felt like and we ended up finally finding the thing and then aaron lipkin who was doing the tours with us uh he was our tour guy who put it on lipkin tours he had he brought his drone with him and so we probably end up getting some of maybe the best footage of this uh feature that's ever been shot it it was really really cool that is cool. Wow. And, and so no archaeologists have, I mean, obviously they know about it, but no, no archaeologists have excavated it yet, huh? Um, I don't remember if they have, I think they had, they had done uh, maybe one paper on it. So one tiny dig or something, but it's yeah. something, it's a place that I don't even know how Derek found it. Probably just reading, might've been reading, uh, you know, one of the papers on the wheel of the giants. And uh, yeah. so he really wanted to go there, and I was really glad he did. And we have kind of the same interest in the pre-Israelite history of of uh, the land of Canaan and how it all relates to the Nephilim and and uh, you know the gods of the nations and stuff. And so it was a it was a really spectacular find. And and one of the neat things about it, you know, if you ever have him on your show, I don't know if he's even talked about this. Probably he has, but. Uh, the idea that that they've um, completely missed where Jesus was baptized, and usually they'll tell you that it's across the Jordan, um, kind of on a horizontal parallel with uh, Jerusalem, in a place yeah. called Bethany. But the pl- problem is there is no place called Bethany there. They just sort of made it up, and so we get Bethany from John chapter one, and uh, right, but they don't know where in the world this is, and so. Old, older scholarship, and I think somebody newer might have written about this too, thinks instead of calling it Bethany, it should be called Betania. And that would be short for, or a different way of saying Bashan. So in other words, he's, he's baptizing up in the area of Bashan, which is right where this would be. And if it's only, you know, half a mile or less from where Andrew and Peter are, and, and John the Baptist is most likely already up there because he was part of the northern Essene community by the, by the uh, Sea of Galilee. You know, the whole thing makes sense. And, and the coolest part about that is that if he was baptizing right there, then, then he has this, maybe the monument in his sights as he's baptizing the people and bringing them into a new kingdom out of this kingdom of darkness that, that the Gospels talked about. Wow, that's fascinating. Oh, pretty, pretty spectacular. Pretty neat. Makes more sense to me. Yeah, we're we're trying to get Derek on the show. Kenny C is uh, working on that for me, so I'm gonna hopefully in the next <laughs> month or so I'm gonna try to get Derek on here. I have to ask him about that. That that that's fascinating. That's really cool. 
I like the archaeology stuff too. Yeah, the, the dude is a walking encyclopedia too. He knows just yeah. everything. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. amazing the things that come out of his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it definitely is. So uh, I'm glad you had a good time, man. That, that sounds. That, hey, had you been to Israel before, or is this? Yeah, uh, my wife and I went out about 2009, I guess, something like that, 2010, and uh, we were there for a wedding, a good friend of ours, and then I was out there again in 2019, right before the whole COVID craziness yeah. happened, so that was my third time. We got to go to Jordan, that was the other highlight, I think, going to Petra, having never been there, and that's one of the seven uh, modern, well, it's, it's an ancient wonder of the world, but it's kind of one of the seven new one, ancient wonders of the world, because a lot yeah. of them were destroyed, but. That place is really, really amazing. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Other than on Indiana Jones, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've had had the chance to go. And Lindsay, have you been to Israel? No, I have not. Yeah, it's 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 on my my bucket list to go one of these days, and I, I would love to go on one of those tours like you were talking about that kind of take you off the beaten path, not the touristy, you know. Basically, in a lot of ways, and I'm not bashing Catholics here, but just the Catholic sites that are supposed to be all these things that right. you don't really know if they are or not. You know. Anyway, so yeah, that sounds well, awesome. Well, two, two, year, two years from uh, March, two years from la uh, last month, we're planning on another trip out there with our Iron and Myth guys. So put it on your calendar. See if you can make it. Hey, yeah, that sounds awesome. Cool. Lindsay, we were talking about, he had a question he wanted that really kind of leads into what we're, what we want to talk about today. Well, I was just wondering, I was, yeah, I was just wondering if you saw anything out there that kind of lined up with what we're going to talk about as far as astronomy, sort of ancient observatory stuff that lines up with constellations or anything like that in any of the sites. Well, I mean, I think that. Um, I, I do think that the Wheel of Giants and the Serpent Mound are, I, I know that they're aligned to like the summer solstice uh, mm. and to the equinox, the wheel is for sure. Mm. And I, I have a theory that I, have, I haven't proven yet, but I have a theory that, that could date the uh, Serpent Mound back to the same period of time as Gobekli Tepe. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, which would be aligned to the North Star at that time, which would have been the Star Vega. So it is quite possible that that whole that that whole complex is aligned astronomically to some pretty wild things, including uh, Draco the Dragon. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Yeah, ever since I listened to your podcast on the Blurry Guys, uh, I have been trying to go outside. We live rural and just to go and, and just try to begin to identify the different constellations and look at them. And, and I'll, which we'll get into a second. I always look East to see if I can see Aquarius yet or something, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we just, we wanted you on here just to kind of take a deep dive and we have a few questions, you know, but basically we just want to hear what you've discovered, you know, in its relation with the stars and the, the astrology, astronomy stuff, and then, you know, how it corresponds with Revelation too, the book of Revelation. Sure. It's all, the floor is yours, Mr. Van Dorn. <laughs> all right, well, I think I'll start off with Rome, with a passage you're not expecting. 
Uh, This is a passage in Romans 10. And uh, it says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching to them? And how will they Mm. preach unless they're sent? And then he quotes Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then he asks this question, but how, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, the Lord, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Now he notice he says, they have not all obeyed the gospel or Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And then it says, so faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Then he asks another question, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For, and then he quotes this, people don't recognize this as a quote, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And it's like, if you just think that Paul is um, just saying this, and it's coming from him, then it doesn't have quite as much meaning. But if you understand that he's quoting Psalm 19.4, then you go back and you read Psalm 19, and it's like, oh my goodness. So listen to Psalm 19 in the context of our discussion. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. That's what he quoted there. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. First half of Psalm 19 is really kind of a commentary on Genesis 1. The second half of it is really a commentary on Genesis 2. Genesis 1, of course, is the creation of the heavens and the earth. And what, what uh, the psalmist here, David, is talking about is how the heavens themselves are somehow declaring um, something about God that Paul connects to them, everybody having heard this, but they haven't believed the gospel. And it's really weird that he puts the gospel in there because it's like, what? The gospel's yeah. in there. Somehow it's in the heavens. And... Um, So at the very minimum, we can talk about this idea, at least in the psalm here, of this sun uh, having a a tent for the sun, and the sun goes into the tent, and when that happens, it becomes dark. So it's talking about the course of the sun, and you go into some of the mythology of the the nations, and this is when the the sun would traverse the other side of the the earth, and and, uh, it would have to be brought out the next day. All this kind of stuff. So that's astronomical stuff. But then it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man running its course with joy. And and you have more images there, maybe of Orion or something, the strong man, um, Hercules, uh, same same kind of thing. And you have the idea of a bridegroom and the son of righteousness, as Malachi calls Jesus, S-U-N, not S-O-N. And so it seems that Paul is saying something about how the heavens themselves, the constellations, the way God has ordered everything up there, is uh, to one degree or another. Now, it's not as explicit, obviously, as what we have in the Word and the 
special revelation. But nevertheless, it's enough for people to have rejected it. And uh, so therefore, they need to hear something even more special, which is the gospel as, as it comes to us through, through the Jesus incarnation. So I think that's a really interesting way of kind of introducing the topic because so many people have this uh, knee-jerk reaction to it that, that uh, you know, astrology, even astronomy, you know, it's either just science or it's paganism. Right, but right. God is the one who made the heavens and the earth, um, and we're trying to take it back. Um, and I don't see why the pagans should have a right to something that God made. <laughs> Yeah. Amen. Well, there seems to be a, a theme in Romans about looking to nature to hear the, you know, the re- revelation of the of God, but also, like you said, the revelation of the gospel. Back in what was Romans two, where he talks about all nature. Basically, I'm gonna butcher this, but basically, yeah, but I think we're, yeah, beginning of Romans one uh, or middle of Romans one, where he talks about yeah. that, right? That, yeah, that yeah. They all they all know. Um, certain attributes of God. They don't know them all, but they know certain attributes because God has made it plain to them uh, through nature. <laughs> through nature, yeah. And that includes, the, that includes the heavens. And so there's like a theme running through. Yeah. I'd be a, that would be an interesting deep dive Bible study to go and, and see how many other places that we've overlooked where he's using that same theme of natural theology. Yep. Nerding out a little bit there, sorry. <laughs> uh-huh. well, well, let me ask you this. I have a question. While we're at, the, at that place where you just left us, do you think there's such thing as a, I was dialoguing with somebody about this the other day, a holy astrology? You know, like, like Daniel, where, where Yahweh gives prophetic revelation through the stars. and if that's possible, is it not just not necessarily about the process, but more about the intention or attention intention of the heart? Am I making any sense? Could there be a yeah? No, it, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a it's a question that I wonder about. So you you will read certain people, um, you know, going all the way back to Bollinger um, in his. might be the gospel and the stars or something like that. There's been several guys kind of 19th century that wrote about that. Um, kind of more in my circles, D. James Kennedy uh, mm-hmm. talked about this when he was still alive, um, about the origin of the Zodiac. Like, right. So everybody has a Zodiac. And through many, many, many of these cultures, they're like basically the same thing. Mm. Um, and how in the world does that happen? And so their theory is that, well, the original Zodiac was created by God and taught to men by him, and that it tells somehow the gospel in the stars. I don't know that I, that I buy the, the whole theory that the, that, the, that the pure gospel is in the constellations and that they're telling this story or not. I think it's interesting. Um, I do believe that, that, that they have to have a common source. I don't have a problem believing that 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 common source would be God. If it's not him, um, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. Uh, so, you know, you could go kind of two ways with it. Either God is the source of it and there is somehow, you know, the plan of redemption is put in the heavens through these constellations and the stories that they tell, or 
the pagans came up with it, and maybe that maybe the fallen sons of God came up with it or whatever as a way to worship themselves. But God takes that back through mm. Scripture and then uh, uses it subversively to tell His story uh, when everybody thinks that it's really the story of the gods. Either way, um, I don't have a problem with it. But either way, the heavens are definitely telling some kind of a story, and there's without a doubt in my mind that that the Bible incorporates. Um, heavenly astronomical uh, signs and and ideas uh, a lot more often than we um, ever think. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's oh yeah, kind of gets around yeah, it at least. Yeah, that does. I mean, I, I I'm at the place now where when I read stars in the scriptures now, I'm doing Professor Horner's Bible study, and and when I see stars all over the place, my first reaction is not the celestial bodies. As much as that is, it is the angelic or the Elohim type type thing that it, that, that could be a a use of, of that. It, 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 I've kind of been indoctrinated. I mean, I still see you know in context where it is the celestial stuff, but I, I always think maybe there's an underlying symbolism there too, uh, which goes contrary to my seminary training with the historical grammatical. <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Well, but it, it, it like really origin. doesn't. It, it shouldn't, though, right? Because, I mean, if the Bible is talking about the sons of God as stars, like Job 38, 7 um, puts them in parallel. And, um, you know, we've got the, the morning star, son of dawn, Hillel ben Shakar in, in Isaiah. And, and uh, you know, you've got I, one of the churches is likened to Venus, um, the morning star. Uh, why in the world? Oh, and wandering planets is something that Jude talks about. The wandering stars, those are the planets. The because the planets don't hold their, they don't they don't stay fixed in the in the night sky like the other stars do. So they call them wandering stars. So um, the Bible all the time is somehow overlapping a star with a a heavenly being, and so it seems to me that historically, grammatically, uh. It's exactly right to think about a star both in terms of physics and metaphysics, right? Um, mm. And the opposite would be true. If all we're doing is thinking about the heavenly bodies up there in purely naturalistic, materialistic ways, that's the opposite of historic grammatic reading of the scripture, because that's not how it reads them at all. Mm. Yeah, but money and... I mean, yeah, demyth yeah, demythalization or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. My question kind of tied in with the question you asked, but it was more the the negative. I mean, because we want to know where the red lines are. Where where where's the line I cross when it comes to, and even just astronomy versus astrology. Why why is one of those words more negative to us Christians than than the other? And you know, just. Yeah, let's let's tease that one out a little bit because I think it's a really important thing for people to think through. So I, my opinion is that um, in the ancient mind, they did not separate astronomy and astrology in the slightest, and I think that that goes to the biblical mind too. It certainly is true of a Gnostic or a Platonic or a um, esoteric way of thinking mm -hmm. um, that they did not separate the two. Okay. So now just think about what I just said there. I just gave kind of at least two of those words are, are curse words for Christians. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and in a lot of ways, rightly so. But what I said was that they did not separate the astrology and the astronomy. So if we're going to say that all astrology is evil because we associate it with those kinds of thoughts, we also have to say that the astronomy is evil because they were doing both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, think you can also think about it from a modern context. So when we talk about astronomy, we're perfectly fine with that. And the reason why is because, well, we're just doing science, but think about what we just talked about as, as the scripture is talking about stars and heavenly beings on a regular basis being, um, overlapping, maybe even identical. There's another one in Judges uh, in, this, in the Song of Deborah where she talks about how the stars from heaven yeah, fought the stars in for their courses, us, yeah. right? The stars in their courses fought for us. It was one of the sites we went to in Israel uh, was that very place where that battle seems to have happened. So, I mean, um, the Bible is not separating these out, and yet we do. And so why are we not uncomfortable talking about astronomy well it's because it's scientific but think about the worldview that is has implanted itself in our brains that's keeping us from thinking about the metaphysics of this at the same time it's naturalism it's materialism it's rationalism it's evolutionary theory all of those things are anti-christian in a lot of ways but we're perfectly comfortable with them because that's our context and I just think it's it's fascinating to me that we would say that astronomy is perfectly fine when it's totally materialistic in its view of life. Hmm. So we get scared of astrology, and I understand why. You know, people abuse astrology, and it really does, in a lot of ways, go back to the origins of the worshiping of the gods and the gods right. of the nations being over people. And so we're not we're not. The gods are not over us as Christians, and so that function of astrology is meaningless for us, and dabbling right. in it can even be a dangerous thing. I understand that, but uh, thinking about the world in purely materialistic, naturalistic ways is equally as dangerous, but just for different reasons. But we don't seem to think of it that way, and I think that, I think that we should give that a lot more thought than we do. Hey, my unrefined friends. I just want to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us, and and I, I just so encouraged about how lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this, is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a, a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind not to mention there's going to be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel so make sure to visit our website at unrefinedpodcast.com and check out our members only community i just can't stress the fact that you know we're after building a community and 
there's there's so much out there you guys and there's so much coming i really believe we need to build these strong communities of christ followers to to be able to handle what might be coming in the in the future days we're sure that you'd be a good fit and we cannot wait i can't wait to see you there Daniel was an astrologer. That's right. He was the chief of the magicians. I threw that out this week. Somebody was going into astrology, and rightly so. This this person was talking about how demonic it is and all this kind of stuff and all this. And I I just played the – I hate to use this terminology, but I played the devil's advocate. And I said, (laughs) did you know Daniel was an astrologer? They're like, no, you're getting that mixed up with astronomy. I'm like, no, go back and check it out. Daniel was an astrologer. And I was just trying to get them to think outside their box that, yeah, maybe most astrology used today is occultic, but that doesn't mean that there couldn't be, you know, Satan doesn't counterfeit something unless it's valuable. That's, that's my go-to. And, and he, he took that and counterfeited it. So it must be valuable in some sort of way in the whole cosmological way we look at the world. Think about, so one of the, one of the major entry points that I think some people have had to this discussion in recent times has been something that Dr. Heiser put out um, on the birth of Jesus. Now, he did not make this up. He's getting it from other scholars, but he goes to uh, Revelation 12, talks about Revelation 12 as a kind of astral prophecy, all right? And so this is John, this is basically John's version of the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke have one, and it's like, well, why doesn't John? Well, he, he seems to, and it seems to be right in the dead center of his book. And it's talking about it in terms of a cosmic war uh, between Michael and the dragon. But it's also the birth story of Jesus. And um, so to kind of back up before you, you get to the Revelation 12 thing, you need to understand. So think about the Magi, right? The Magi are coming from the east. And why? Because they see his star, right? And what is this star? People have all kinds of different ideas. Maybe it was a comet, or maybe it was a meteorite, or maybe it was a conjunction of planets, or you know, whatever the case might be. At the very, very, very least, we know that the idea of a star of the Messiah comes from the book of Numbers, in a prophecy that comes from, of all people, a pagan prophet named Balaam. And Balaam makes this prophecy. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Uh, and then it talks about how he's going to crush uh, you know, the heads of Moab and the heads of Amalek, the giant, and all this kind of stuff. But it's the idea of a star there, a prediction of a star coming. So the Messiah is actually himself likened to a star as he is in, I think uh, Peter talks about him as the morning star, and, and John, I think, in Revelation talks about him as the morning star as well. So if you have the book of Numbers predicting him as a star, and then you have the Magi from the east coming to see his star when he's born, you have to ask the question, how could the Magi have known about this? And the answer is staring us right in the face in the book of Daniel that Jews went into exile in the very place that the Magi came. And a lot of them never left. When, when, uh, when Israel came back into the Promised Land, 
a lot of those Jews stayed in Babylon because that's where the homes had been now for the last 80, 70, 80 years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Daniel is also among those who, uh, wh- whether he went back to Israel or not, isn't the point, because when he was in Babylon, as you said, he became the chief of the magicians, the chief, chief of the astrologers. And, and Babylonian uh, science is has been deeply embedded with um, the heavens, um, both astronomy and astrology, as we would talk about it, since the very beginning of the Tower of Babel, going all the way back to then. I mean, that's the origin of this for their culture. And so to say that Daniel becomes the chief, the head of these people, that's quite a statement. And now here you have a guy who's completely believes in his scripture. He does not become a pagan. He refuses to bow to the pagans. He refuses to bow to the gods right. and the nations. So he is not using this astrology the way that um, a Nimrod or somebody like that would have in the past. He's using it as a as a believer in the Lord, and he knows this prophecy full well about Numbers twenty four. My guess is that they started doing all kinds of computations and figuring out well when in the world could this have happened, and so when the Magi then recognize the sign in the heavens that they probably had predicted for a very long time, knowing how good they were at astronomy. Um, they were able to see, okay, now's the time. We're going to head on over there. I don't think they needed to have like an angelic voice come and whisper in their ear, he's been born now. You know, they mm. saw his star. They saw the sign in the sky. They got it from the Old Testament. They had um, a whole bunch of Jewish believers that were in their guild that taught them about it. And so it makes perfect sense that they would come out there. So it's almost like they read a cosmological timepiece. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They That's amazing. They, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Wow. That <laughs> blows me away. And so then that is what really what Revelation 12 is all about, is this whole idea of what would that could that star have been and and what Heiser does in that little video is he talks about the virgin in Revelation 12 being Virgo, uh, and the dragon in Revelation 12 most likely being the constellation Draco. And then it talks about the king being born, and that's going to be related to um, Leo the lion. So you've got the lion, who, which is right next to Virgo, uh, and the star Regulus that is the main the brightest star of Leo is the, called the king star. And then you end up getting this uh, kind of alignment going on with Regulus the king star, Jupiter the king planet, in the constellation of lion, Leo the lion, the king. And then you've got um, this, this uh, I think the moon is in her, at her feet and the sun is in her womb or something like that. Well, when you lay all this out, on a, a night sky, you can predict exactly when, if you know, if you know the orbits and how this all works, you can predict exactly when that's going to happen. Uh, that the moon is going to be at Virgo's feet at the same time that the sun is in her womb, at the same time that Jupiter and Regulus and the lion are all kind of lined up, and you come up with a very precise date of September eleventh. I think it's. Uh, I think it's 3 BC. The point being that what John is doing there in 
in uh, Revelation 12 is he's giving a kind of cryptic uh, astral understanding of the birth of Jesus according to the star of the star of Bethlehem. Now, that's not the only theory out there, but other theories are also kind of doing the same stuff with the heavens. So it doesn't really take away from what I'm saying. But um, if this if this theory is right, then that's what Revelation 12 is doing. And and there we have a very good example of the Bible itself using uh, astronomy and, in a way, astrology, because you have to talk about the constellations in relationship to one another, you know, the dragon right. and the woman, right, <laughs> fighting right, it out. Right. And so it's not, it's not telling your future, but in that case, it's actually telling the past. Wow. It's like John was interpreting. Mm hmm For even maybe for a pagan audience, so like, this is the gospel. Here it is. It's, it's, it's bared out through the, through even, even the skies test to it. That, that's fascinating. That's, that's yeah, let me wrong. give you, let me give you something that's really interesting with regard to this for, for his audience. So remember, this is Revelation. And he's writing to the seven churches of Revelation. Okay. And so the seven churches are in Asia Minor. And John seems to connect each one of these churches to one of the seven wandering stars of the night sky. Did I talk about that and what you guys were familiar with? Have you heard this? Yeah, before? I think I remember you talking about that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's really kind of an interesting idea that, that, He's linking language in uh, each one of those letters to the churches to one of the different bodies. So remember, you've got uh, Jude talking about wandering stars. So we know that the Bible's familiar with the planets as wandering stars. And, and if there's always a warning in each of these seven letters to the churches, why would it be a warning? Well, because they're wandering away from the truth. So I mm. think that John is using... The Sun, the Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn as almost illustrations for how the churches are behaving in bad ways. And so, you know, you got him talking about what's the, what's the most obvious one. He actually refers to one of them as the Morning Star, the, the Church of Thyatira, to the Angel of the Church of Thyatira. You tolerate Jezebel seducing to the practice of sexual immorality. So overcome, and I will give you the morning star. He's, li he's linking Thyatira there to Venus, mm. and which is interesting because Venus is the one, other than maybe the moon, depending on the mythology, but Venus is the one who's a woman. And here you're tolerating Jezebel, the woman. <laughs> so um, in, in doing that kind of association to those churches, it's really interesting. However, it gets even more strange because there has been scholarship that has linked uh, one particular constellation to those seven churches, and that's the constellation of the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. Um, the hmm. Seven Sisters have this really wild kind of history and mythology, but um, one, especially with the whole disaster that Graham Hancock likes to talk about, that this cometary thing that destroyed the earth, if he's right in that theory, came shot out of the, of the region of the Pleiades. It was coming, emanating from that. So linking the seven 
churches to the seven sisters is strange enough. But when you overlay a map of the seven cities in Asia Minor to the seven sisters constellation, five of them match exactly to where those churches are laid out on the actual ground. Mm. So if those people would have known that their area, and this could be a a kind of another bunny trail if you guys want to go down this road. Um, Absolutely. uh, I'm all for rabbit trails. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let so what, what I'm going to say is that if the people of, of Asia Minor in those cities would have understood that they are laid out according to the, 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 some constellation in the night sky, then it would have all the more meaning if John is relating each one of those churches to a different wandering star. So that kind of leads to a, a question, which is, would they or could they have known something like that? And I believe that the answer very much is yes to that, because... Ancient peoples used to pattern either complexes, temple complexes, or even cities themselves according to a specific constellation in the sky. So kind of the best known example of this uh, is a theory that the the three um, pyramids of Giza Mm -hmm. are lined up perfectly in size and uh, and location to the three stars of Orion's belt. Wow. Okay. And that also includes the positioning of them to the Nile river, which would, um, counterpart the positioning of Orion to the Milky way galaxy. And you, (laughs) you may very well find the same thing going on in a pyramid complex in, uh, Cayenne, China, and also in Mexico. And maybe I was even about South America, yeah, yeah, or, and or maybe even maybe even a series of I think it's nine different um, uh, monuments that Indians had made that take up a huge portion of the desert of nor- of northern Arizona <laughs> might very well be patterned after the entire constellation of Orion. Uh, you have the temple complex at Angkor Wat in Cambodia that seems very much to be lined up aligned to the constellation Draco. Um, You find the strange wall structures at Cusco in South America. Uh, Those wall structures that everybody has seen that are like so, you know, oddly shaped, but yet fit together absolutely perfectly that you can't even get like a credit card into the, into the uh, cracks. Yeah. When you look at them from the sky, they're actually making up teeth. Those are the teeth of the mouth of a giant puma. Um, so why would they do that? Well, it seems that, that seems that the ancient peoples had understood that you need to fix not just latitude, but also longitude to your location. If you're going to navigate the oceans, you have to fix the longitude. And they fixed the longitude uh, fairly close to where we fix it today. Um, and they did that such that, um, different constellations match different parts of the ground on the earth. So you have the Atlas mountains, um, right there, kind of at the Straits of Gibraltar on the South, uh, where Africa is, um, being aligned to the Gemini. So the Gemini, um, their sign is like two, it's like pi, the Greek letter, but it looks like 
and it looks like two pillars. Two pillars, this is Atlas holding up the pillars between heaven and earth, okay? Oh, wow. If you go to the east, you have Orion. Um, it's actually located right underneath Egypt. You go up north and a little bit to the east of there, up to Turkey, and you have the Taurus Mountains, and that's right where the constellation Taurus is. You go over to North America, you have Virgo. Um, the entire city of Washington, D.C. is laid out as a monument to Virgo. You go just south of there to Mexico, and I forget what the name of this constellation is, but it's, the, it's a constellation that's right at Virgo's feet, which is, uh, I think it's an eagle um, and sitting on a branch or something like that. Well, that turns out to be this is what the Mexican national flag is. Um, oh, wow. You find out that Cusco is actually d directly under Leo the lion. Well, they don't have lions in South America, so the next best thing is some sort of a puma, a cat. So they're, they're laying out all these complexes all over the earth according to the pattern in heaven. And so if that's the case, then it makes it's perfectly reasonable that the seven churches of Asia Minor could have also been laid out according to something which very well could have been the seven sisters, and that the people of those cities would have known that, that there would have been some sort of a connection that we had to had, would have had to that. And so for John to then come in and talk about wandering stars with each of them as seven churches would have been all the more powerful for them. Well, so yeah, that, that leads into a good question we had about, you talk about the marching positions I think on the blurry episode you did oh, yeah. about this, and how that lines up. I want to say with with the four creatures or something like that, and then four constellations. I could be getting that wrong, but were the Israelites aware? Do you think of of, of this this alignment? Um, I think they were absolutely aware of it. Um, for the roots of this, you have to go back to Genesis forty nine. And this is kind of the last will and testament of um, Jacob to, or yeah, of Jacob to his sons, the 12 sons of Jacob. So you have in, in that text, you have these strange things occurring. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. So you have the firstborn man associated with water. And a few verses later, he says, Judah is a lion's cub. And this is where we get the whole idea of Judah is the, uh, the tribe of, li of the lion. If we know one thing, we know Judah is the lion tribe, right? right? That comes from Jacob. He also says, Dan, you should be a serpent in the way of viper by the path. And then um, you also find that uh, in the Targum, uh, and so this actually even this actually more proves that they knew it than if it wasn't here. In the Targum, Joseph is likened to an ox, but that's not in the in the in the biblical text. That's in the in the Aramaic paraphrase that the rabbis had translated so that uh, the Jews could read it in their own language in later days. So here we have Reuben. The man water, you have Judah the lion, Dan the serpent, and Joseph the ox. What's going on there? Well, these correspond perfectly to 
Aquarius, the man holding the bucket of water, to yeah. uh, Leo the lion, to um, uh, Manasseh as the ox, which is Taurus the bull. And then the one that seems strange is Dan, because there's no serpent uh, in, this, in the right place. But there is uh, Scorpio um, and also an eagle. Some, well, we can talk about that in a second, because in the four living creatures, you have the man face, you have the lion face, you have the ox face, but you have an eagle face, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it turns out that Scorpio was known bo- both as a serpent constellation and an eagle constellation, depending on the culture, depending on the time. And so in, in the Genesis, it's more the uh, serpent, the Scorpio serpent viper sort of a constellation. But in other times, it was the eagle. So the four living creatures have those heads, and what they end up corresponding to is the north, south, east, and west constellations. So that would be four of the 12 constellations. Remember, uh, the he- heavens have 12 main constellations, right? That's what we get our zodiac from. Those are right. associated with our months of the year. If we didn't have these, we wouldn't have been able to, to figure out what time was. So there's another reason, just basic importance that we need to know what time is so we can plant our crops and and uh you know all the different things that take place during the course of a year you don't have the constellations you don't have those um north was associated with one of the these four and then east south and west with the other three and those then become the heads of the four living creatures Mm. and they're also interestingly the the place that God positioned the 12 tribes according to the flag tribe. Uh, so you would have three tribes on each of the four sides, but you would have a flag tribe in the middle, and the flag tribes ended up being these four tribes, Dan and, and Ephraim, who comes from Joseph, and Judah, and Reuben. Um, why? Well, because they are circling around a king on the throne. And in the heavenly night sky, the very most northern constellation that we have is Cephas, which is the king on the throne. And so the north sky, when, when, you, when you point the camera at, at the north star and then you just leave the lens open all night, you're going to get, uh, you know, the, the light is, remains open. And as that happens, you, you get the blur from the lights going around in a circle. So the only star that won't move is the North Star. Everything else rotates around it. And when you look at it, it looks like wheels within wheels within wheels, which is exactly what Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel chapter 1, where we have the four living creatures, wheels within wheels within wheels. Because the whole thing is is depicting a heavenly... So the night sky is depicting the invisible reality of God sitting on his throne and the heavenly hosts surrounding him, orbiting around him. That's what the night sky is doing when you look north at Cephas, and we see all the other constellations are revolving around him. And that's exactly what he wanted Israel to then pattern on earth through his 12 tribes, is that they are now bringing down to earth what is in heaven. As in heaven, so on earth, as the Lord taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Mm. So um, God is bringing down 
from the invisible realm to the visible heavens and then all the way to earth, his rule on earth through his chosen people, the nation of Israel at that point. And then that ends up in Revelation you know, 21 uh, becoming this uh, heavenly city, the city of the New Jerusalem, which has all these you know, um, numbers that are attached to it that are especially related to the number 12. So we've been talking about 12, right? 12 tribes, 12 right. constellations, um, 12 apostles. This is all a number of time. It's all a number of months. In fact, at the end, I think at the end of that chapter, you have the, or the beginning of the next one, you have the leaves of the tree of light or our life are out there for all 12 months of the season. So you can always eat from the tree of life, no matter what month you're in. Um, mm. And the number 12 or the 12,000 ends up having some really strange correlations to, uh, to the um, diameter of both the earth and the moon. Uh, when you start adding up the number of degrees uh, in the cube. So, again, what's happening there is that um, this cube coming out of the sky from the heavens to the earth is another way of depicting really the same idea that God is bringing to earth what is in heaven through his kingdom, through his church, uh, that, is, that is itself patterned on heavenly things. So. This is, this is how you do astronomy, astrology, and the Bible with uh, um, using God's law instead of man's, using um, righteousness instead of pagan ideas. Yeah, I, I do find it interesting, though, on that same subject, Doug, that, that the cube is used, and the cube is, is a big-time occultic symbol, but it's just an enemy, once again, counterfeiting the the real like the cube in where is it in saudi arabia yeah the kaaba yeah absolutely yeah uh, where, where the gin are supposedly stored or whatever or or i think there's there's gin in there um lindsay can lindsay knows more about that and and then i think about like like um just just I, I'm thinking about cultural reference. Like there's a movie back in the eighties or nineties, uh, Hellraiser and, and, and you conjured up these demons through cubes and there's just all kinds of occultic oh, sure. stuff that, and, and he's just, he's just counterfeiting what is out there, you know, already that, that is, is for us. And, and I, I just, I guess it breaks my heart sometimes. I, I feel like the church focuses more on the counterfeit than it does on the real deal. It's almost like we've given the ground to the to the pagans as if they're the ones who created all this stuff. And so yes. all we can do then is knee-jerk yes. against it. When the reality is that God created it, it was perverted, yes. and the Bible ends up taking these things back under the lordship and authority of the one who made them in the first place. But does that actually through his people so that when you understand this, when you understand these concepts and you understand how they're related to us, then all of a sudden these things take on a completely different meaning and context than they do under in, in pagan um, understanding oh, yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely more, I mean, it's just, to me, it, it goes back to, it's more Trinitarian. It's for, for the sake of others than it is for your own sake, for your own selfishness. Yeah. Less, you know, do, do unto others and less do as thou wilt. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
I just think that God is in the redemption business and he wants to take his world back. And we have given up so much to that, that counterculture that's out there. And I love that old Lewis line where we've been dropped behind enemy lines and now we're supposed to run a counterintelligence counter, you know, to interfere with his his stuff. And I feel like that a lot oftentimes we take the fortress mentality and we want to hide in Helms Deep, so to speak, and instead of getting out and pursuing the gates of hell, you know, <laughs> that that won't mm-hmm. prevail against us. So mm-hmm. and I think I think that's part of, I think that's why what we're talking about is important. It's because, like you said, going back to the gospel, this all funnels to the king, Jesus. It funnels to Yahweh, the king. It funnels to the gospel, the good news. I mean, that it, it all centers around him and his glory. And the the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. <laughs> and it just makes me want to worship. And I think about the the psalm in David where he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? This is the son of man. And obviously he was looking at the stars when he was thinking about that. This great big universe. And what are we? You know, wow. there's a here, there's kind of a, it maybe even a deeper way of helping us get to the glory of Christ in this, because so why, why are the, why are the pagans and the, um, secret societies and stuff why are they so fascinated with um uh like platonic solids like the cube um why are they so fascinated with um astrology and that kind of stuff well i think you said it right it's because they understand that man is at the center of that and in fact he is so um you think about the uh the measurements for this city and it says 12,000 stadia or you might get 12,000 furlongs, depending on the, on the um, uh, translation. Or you might actually read 1,500 miles in one of the translations. And it used to, I used to go, well, how in the world could all those numbers be round numbers like that? That doesn't make any sense. A mile is a new, is a new thing. Oh, no, 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 no. See, the thing is, all of these measurements are based and rooted in human beings. So an inch is basically uh, the measure of the tip of your thumb to like the knuckle, okay? So it's the inch comes from our thumb. The foot obviously comes from our foot. A cubit comes from the span of the tip of our big finger to our elbow. And a pace is how far it takes your left foot and your right foot and your left foot to come back again. So in other words, all of these measurements come from man himself, from literally the human being that God made, all right? Mm -hmm. Now, metrics doesn't work like that, which is a very interesting thing that that they want to get rid of the yard and the mile and all the furlong and replace everything with metrics, because essentially what they're doing there is they're eliminating man as the measure of all things. That's something that Protagoras and Leonardo da Vinci said long, long ago, man is the measure of all things things. Okay, so now when you think about how all of these strange numbers, and we don't have time, and I don't even have the expertise to be able to do it justice in in this conversation, 
to talk about how the diameter of the earth and the diameter of the moon, the distance of the earth from the sun, all these things have in them numbers that keep replicating themselves over and over again. But those numbers are essentially rooted uh, either in mathematics or in the measure of man. Okay, So a mile, um, uh, a foot, all those kinds of things, a cubit, a stadia. So when we say that the holy city is 12,000 stadia, 144 cubits, notice the number 12 in 12,000 stadia. Notice that 12 is actually in 144 cubits too, right? Because 12 times mm -hmm. 12 is 144. Mm -hmm. um, so you have these uh, numbers that keep coming over and over again, but those numbers are rooted in man. And the holy city is not some gigantic skyscraper city like Denver coming out of the sky. The holy city is the church. And what is the church made of? Human beings. But what is the cornerstone of the church? It's Jesus, the God-man. You see, it was essential for so many reasons that God... In, in the second person who was always there in the Old Testament, but he wasn't there as a human being. He had to become a human being because this whole idea that man is the measure of all things is true, but it has to go through the Son of God because all of us are fallen. And what the pagans miss is not the numbers and the science and the math and the metaphysics of it, what they miss is Jesus, the God-man. They don't want to worship him. And yet he's the one that fulfills the whole deal. So what I'm saying is that, again, we, we, we tend to throw off what these people uh, learned about you know, these mysterious things that God made in geometry and mathematics and astronomy. And we don't realize that God made them, but we also don't realize that Jesus is the one who ends up being the fulfillment of all of them, and that they make no sense apart from him. It's almost like he's the true bag of weights and measurements. I've been reading Proverbs through the Bible mm -hmm. reading, and weights and measurements are, were important back then, you know, to not cheat people. And he is like the, another, I guess another name for him is the, is the, He's the he's he is the weights and measurements of of the world. If that goes along with what you're saying, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, that's that's so, an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. Wow, man, my mind is blown, bro. Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much stuff here. So much stuff here. Gave us a lot to chew on here. Yeah. Well, um Lindsay has one more question. That, that he's been wondering about. It just kind of came out of the blue, and I'm going to let him ask it. Well, it's a little bit off the wall, Doug, and <laughs> I don't know. Because none of this stuff is? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good point. Uh, okay, Amos 5.26, quoted by Stephen in Acts 7.43. I'll read the Amos one first, the New King James. You also carried Sikoth, your king, in Kuhn. And some of the other versions say, Kaiwan, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourself. Uh, Stephen says, you have taken along the tabernacle of, of Molech, 
and the star of your God, Raphon, the idols uh, you made to worship. Um, okay, so there's star language there. Do, do you have any, any, uh, anything from your studies on that? Who is Raphon or Kaiwan? How does he relate to stars? I've heard people, I mean, you get into kind of anti-Semitism here sometimes, but relate this to the star of David or something like that. I, what's your take on, on, on this, this passage? Well, so first of all, the star of David, that, that's a confusing one, um, even to me, that the sign there is ancient, um, and it really has nothing to do with David. And yeah. you can make an argument that it's actually coming out of some of these secret society sorts of things. But, yeah. uh, you know, and so th this gets into a whole <laughs> conspiracy theory that there's probably a lot of truth to about the beginnings of the modern state of Israel. Where did it actually come from? Who was behind it? And why would they want that star to be the sign of that country? So, you know, I, I don't know that I know enough to be able to speak on whether or not it's being uh it was being used in kind of a nefarious way as they created the country of israel or not i just don't know i know that most normal people don't use it that way at all right um, but that of course doesn't mm -hmm. erase how it was used in the past or whatever and i have heard that it, that it is related somehow to this verse but i have not done deep dive on it i do know that that the that the gods there that are mentioned are definitely related to what <laughs> Stephen is talking about with Molech. Um, uh, but I have not done a deep dive on this, on either of those two verses. But I'm preaching through Luke, and I'm going to preach through Acts after that. So hopefully it won't be super long before I get the chance to actually have some fun with it. Yeah, Ooh. that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, like I said you know, earlier, Lindsay and I both, we, we just, when we see stars now, it has a double meaning. I mean, and I think that's a good thing. And, and you know, that's kind of that's kind of what our, the whole meaning of what, we, what we're trying to do with the podcast is just get knowledge out there for people to to look at their Bibles in a different way. Because the whole Divine Council worldview and a lot of, uh, you know, just stuff like we've talked about today and, and all this, with, without it being esoteric, because I don't think it's esoteric at all, it, it has expanded my view of of the world, you know, like, like Haas used to say, it's, it's more middle earth now. It, it's, it's, it's faster and it's definitely a lot more supernatural. And, and I was a, I was a vineyard charismatic before that, but it, this brought a, a whole new supernatural dimension to what I see in the world. And, and this, this, is fascinating with the stars. I mean, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna do this now. I'm gonna go through the Book of Romans and see how many other places Paul, you know, uses natural theology to 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 present the gospel leading up to Romans ten. Yeah, I, it's it's probably in there. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say it is, but it's probably in there. Well, wow, Doug, we appreciate it so much. This has been. Yeah, more than enlightening. This has been edifying, and yeah. I really, I really feel like this is applicable stuff. You know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Christians will say, "Well, I want to hear some meat," and they basically all they want to hear is what I call Gnostic type teachings. Just to, yeah, 
it, you know, just stuff to have in their head as like, oh, I know this about the Bible and all these little useful tidbits. But this, to me, has a purpose of the the unfurling of the tapestry of what God's doing in the world of the the age before and the age to come and and everything that's you know happening in all this. Yeah, I we didn't even talk about that here, did we? No, we didn't. Well. We'll do that another time because I would, I want to have you on it. I want to hear your take on eschatology because it, it appears to me that it's like unique to you. And, and I love it when people think outside the generic boxes of eschatology. And uh, <laughs> so maybe I'll get you back on if you're willing. And, and just uh, we just take a dive into eschatology because I've, I've vacillated and Lizzie has too. We, we've, we've vacillated so much between partial preterist to uh, premillennialism to we don't really know to the world's definitely getting bad but then there's a lot of good things that are happening in the world too yeah. and we have to yep. have a, a positive you know like I just said we want to redeem the world right anyway so we'll, we'll, we'll shoot that rabbit alright that's gone <laughs> thank you Doug so much for your time and, and just yeah. chilling with us and and uh giving us a lot, of, a lot of good meat to chew on. Yep. Always a pleasure. Our, our audience out there, too. Oh, yeah. You, you're welcome. And, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, yep. a fun and important topic and uh, one that I think is really misunderstood. So to be able to bring some clarity to it and help people think through it a little better, that's what I like to do. Yep. Well, thank you, Doug. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural.